Well, as we read our verses this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I, how many of you uh, are thinking about our text this morning in verses 18 through 21 and are saying, my favorite verses? You didn't say that? Boy, I was reading it all week and thinking, man, this is amazing because I'm struggling with what is it saying? <laughs> but breaking it down in the Hebrew, I was like, man, I was like, okay, Lord, this was quite fun and it turned out to be quite an adventure and what a blessing it was to uh, dig in and see this blessing from the Lord. So my job is to try to read the Scripture, explain the Scripture, so that way we can see the heart of God together as a body of Christ this morning. And it's going to be a fun task. But would you go to the Lord with me and ask God to help us in that beautiful endeavor this morning? Lord, we are so privileged. What a grateful time to be together as a body, those that can make it this morning, those that um, can make it through live streaming. Thank you for the technology. Thank you for, man, what a blessing. All those that came, some at five o'clock started getting ready so we could even meet together. What a blessing um, for those that served the body this morning, that ultimately used their hands and feet to serve you, to glorify you. Lord, thank you that we can be free to just worship and tell you how great you are. That we can also have the technology, those that would come in early, get all the technology set up, so that way those that are shut in this morning and enjoying the warmth of uh, their home, I pray that they are, and they have power and they have heat, and they can just worship together with us through the live stream. What a blessing that you have provided and so, Lord, we simply say thank you. We thank you for the word that reveals your heart, your desire to understand, to know you, to understand who we are. Lord, it is not always an easy thing. We thank you for this, this poem and, and this wisdom that you gave us through Solomon to help us to understand more about life. And, Lord, that there is meaning in life. But, Lord, meaning is, comes from understanding you. So, Lord, help us as we read your holy word to understand your words. Remove me out of the picture. Help me not to complicate things, but that we can find great joy in understanding your word this morning. So we thank you for the task that's before us, that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Meaning found in divine judgment, as the title of our three-part series in this next paragraph in Ecclesiastes. The meaning, basically, we've looked at verse, chapters 1 and 2, and we really saw Solomon said that in all the experiences under the sun, meaning anything that we could experience on earth is meaningless, it's grasping after the wind. It's like playing tag with the wind. And I don't know about you, but that was something that the wind won this week. Uh, I did not want to play tag with the wind. Uh, I looked like a mummy walking around outside on my property. Eight, eight pieces of clothing. I think I had, three, I had three sweatshirts on. And I had all, you know all those tubey things that they use as masks for, for covid I found that they are quite useful underneath all the hoodies and uh, <laughs> keeping my face from the wind. 
I did not want to feel the wind. I did not want to experience that. But Solomon said in all the experience of life, it was like playing tag and it was meaningless. But then he comes to chapter 3 and there's things to find meaning in. In in divine timing that God is above all time and he exists in all time as well simultaneously. He is in sovereign control. And now we come to this thing about divine judgment. And he brings out the subject, the fact that there is so much injustice. There's so much, so much pain in the world. People are hurting each other. That which is supposed to be good is still bad. And that which is bad is not being, being judged fairly. And Solomon says this in verse 16 and 17. And, but we find that with God... His judgment brings true meaning, true understanding. And we brought out that harsh reality. You remember the life is? Life is not fair, so get over it. That's basically what Solomon was saying. I brought another one this morning, the harsh reality, that without God, this is what it is. One of the elders reminded us last week, he he said, you know, if life was fair, we would get death. We'd all deserve it, right? But, and so the harsh reality this morning is, is that life is harsh and then we die. Another truism. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and see what God is telling us about life and about meaning that can be found in his perfect judgment. In verse 14, and we're going to be looking only at verses 19 through 22, but in verse 14 he said, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken away from it. God has done it so that people would fear him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw the sun, and that is in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. There's judgment for all. For there is a time for every matter and for every work that God will judge everything according to his purpose and his timing. I said in my heart with regards to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to, the, go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast go down to the earth? So I saw that there was nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. So that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him. Wow, what a text. It's our favorite, right? It's like, wait a minute. 
What is Solomon saying? What wisdom is to be found? How do we see that divine judgment brings meaning? Well, we see that truism that life is harsh and then we die. It's true. The truism in Hebrew is the fact that we all are the same. All the animals that God created, they live, they die. All that God created in man, we all in the flesh, we live and we die. Uh, And the great introduction that Rob gave us in Psalm 49 says in, in several different verses in that psalm, he says, man in his pomp, in all of his feathers, right? All the things that he does to gain uh, a footing in life, and yet it's all without understanding. It is like the beasts that perish. It's all the same. It doesn't matter what he gains in life because he's going to die. It doesn't matter what the animal does in life because he's going to die. It's cynicism, it's sarcasm, right? But in life, as we feel the sarcasm in life, it tends to, in, this, in the Hebrew, there's this sense of Solomon is kind of frustrated. He's, he's not very happy. And maybe that's the way we feel about life sometimes. So this kind of cynicism or sarcasm tends to anger us emotionally. And it sometimes it numbs us spiritually to what God is doing. If we focus on the sarcasm in life and the cynicism and the injustices and the unfairness and all those kind of stuff and and we look at it and it just kind of brings this emotional place in our life where we just spiritually are numb. It leaves us scattered, bitter, disillusioned and for sure feeling distant from God at times. That aptly describes the kind of mentality that Solomon has in this phase of his journey. And so when we go to this and we realize and we look at this and we discover it together as we try to make sense of what he's saying is that the reality is this. God ordains injustice to give us understanding, to bring understanding. Last week we realized that when we realize that God is in control and we realize all that God is doing, it brings us peace. Because we realize we don't have to do anything. God does it all in the work of Christ in our life. This section helps us to realize and to understand a true perspective of who we are in light of who God is. God's divine judgment on injustice helps us to understand. And the first thing that Solomon helps us to realize is this. Solomon's answer is theological. Remember last week it was theological and that it reminded us who God is. When we look at the injustice, we have a choice. We can say, we can get frustrated and we can try to change everything and realize there's nothing new under the sun and it's like grasping after the wind. It's vain. But Solomon told us to look to who God is. But this section reveals our true nature, the flesh, our true nature. Solomon's answer is to remind us who we truly are. And you say, wait a minute, I don't want to really, 
I don't know about you, but how many, how many of you would love just to be revealed in all of your sinful flesh to everyone? <laughs> no, we say. But this is the reality. Solomon is reminding us who we truly are. Romans is filled with that. Romans 5, Romans 1, Romans 3, Romans 8. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, searches the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of their deeds. God knows the heart. God knows our wickedness. God knows our sickness of our flesh. God knows everything. God understands. The reality is, is that it, this, this section of, that Solomon is wanting to remind men who we truly are. And God is wanting us to do the same. Romans 1, 21, he tells us about man in the flesh. It says about men in verse 21, it says, All Though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkening. The reality, the nature of man is it's futile. Same words that Solomon is using. It's vain. They're thinking it is not eternal. It's not thinking in light of who God is. Their understanding is more temporal. It's more about the things that we face in the day. The nature of man is not the same as God. Ephesians 4.18 says that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of their heart. Men are not by nature good. They are not by nature full of God's understanding. By their thinking is futile. It shouldn't surprise us. The reality is it shouldn't surprise us when we look at the environment of our world. Because that's just simply the nature of man. Listen to Romans chapter 3. Most of it's a quotation from the Old Testament. But Paul says it to the Roman church and God is using it to speak to us in Romans 3, 9 through 20. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we all already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, quoting in Isaiah. No one understands No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Their venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of coarse and bitterness. We saw it. If you watch the news all week, you could. this sounds very familiar. Their mouth is full of coarse... Curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In the past are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being can be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The nature of man is futile without God. Romans 8, 7, 8, it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The very nature of man is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it even cannot, it says. So before you judge the community around you that doesn't trust in the Lord or know the Lord personally and have a relationship with God, just remember, they cannot please God. So don't expect them to. I hope that changes your heart and loving desire to share the Lord with them. Though they are in the flesh, it says in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So Solomon is reminding us right here, all these verses, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, he's reminding us that in the flesh, the very nature of man, the true nature of man is not pleasing to God. The second thing that we see, God ordains injustice and gives us understanding. We need to understand our true nature, but He also exposes the quality of our real self in order to humble us. Injustices, God gives injustice and He judges injustice, and all the injustice that's going on is really He uses it to expose the quality of our heart. The real nature of ourself. And it reveals that to humble us. Verse 18, the key word here is test. Go back to the text. It says, He said in his heart, Solomon says in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see, to see, to reveal to them that they themselves are but beasts. That they revealed the very nature of their heart, their, their flesh. The key word there is test. The first reason that God brings to us and to, ver- to show the various circumstances were that when we face injustice, that many times it's to test, to reveal our heart. The Hebrew word literally means to purify. It's not to purify to show how shiny we are. It, it is the idea that the Hebrews would use this idea to say, we're going to put this metal in the fire to see how pure it is, to see how strong it is. It's to temper it, to see if it is pure, right? And you know that blades, if, if you know, they would test the blade and they would hit it and hit it, and if it wasn't strong enough, then they, they put it back in the fire and they would show the impurities and reveal it so they could hammer it out. The injustice that we see, the idea here is, is that God is trying to reveal the qualities of our self. Trying to see really what is in our heart. And to humble us. Church, the reality is these times of injustice are times when we are tried by fire 
And we really find out who we are deep down inside when we believe we have been treated unfairly by others. And sadly, what we see many times, even in the church, especially in the church, is not very encouraging. What we do ourselves many times is revealed at our heart that we have a lot of flesh still there and that it needs to be taken care of before God. We see that he, Solomon says that we are, in reality, we are all, it's revealed that we are all like animals. God is revealing. He's not saying that we all suffer the same fate spiritually because animals don't have souls. This isn't a verse to say, yep, look, we're all animals. We're all, and this is, by the way, this is where Darwin takes his thesis statement of Scripture to promote uh, evolution. That's not the point of this passage. In fact, the Bible many times likens us, our flesh, our moral capability of good, our, and that our flesh is really not good, it's filled with sin, and that it, it equates us to animals many times. Psalm 32, verse 9, he says, Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which has no understanding, which must be hardened, harnessed with a bit and a bridle, unless they will not come near you. Right? We have to halter many times our steers and board them up and, and cradle them so that, that way we can just take care of them, you know, to give them the help they need. The horse is the same way. They don't just naturally let you take care of and bind their wounds. You have to sometimes bridle them. Proverbs 7, and 23 says, Immediately uh, he went out after... Uh, her, the immoral woman, as an ox goes to the slaughter, for as a fool to the correction of the stalks till an arrow strikes his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. Many times people run after sin just, and they see it just like the bird or the ox and they don't realize they're going to the slaughter or to the snare. That's like at our house, we give our animals their favorite treats and they have no idea what's coming. And uh, what's coming is a quick trip to the freezer so we can enjoy steak later on. <laughs> but they don't know that. They just see the treat and filled with great joy. That's what the Proverbs is talking about. When we hasten to sin, our flesh runs to it and we don't realize what's going to happen. Jude 10 says, But they speak evil of of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in these things they corrupt themselves. The reality is, is morally in our flesh, we're not any different sometimes in the way we act. It's a simile or it's a way to say we are like that. But we are not spiritually the same as animals. Our soul is eternal. That's why it says in Galatians chapter 15, if you turn there, it says that we need to be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Don't let our flesh, and this is the understanding, we say we can be just as brutish as animals. Our flesh is just like that. 
But God gives us injustice to help us to realize that so that way we can be led by the Spirit. Turn back to the Lord and realize that being led by the Spirit is important. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not let your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't, just because you're saved and just because you've been bought with a price, don't let that freedom that God has given you in life and that joy that you know you're going to spend eternity with God, don't be lazy and just live according to the flesh. But it says only do not let your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right? Just as Christ served you. Verse 14, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. The whole Old Testament. All the law of the Old Testament is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, there's the brutish mentality of the flesh. How do we know if we're living in the flesh? If we're biting and devouring one another. Our speech, our actions... Our attitude, our thinking. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Spiritual cannibalism, living in the flesh, we, we cannibalize the body of Christ because we consume one another. Verse 16, it says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. If we are led by the Spirit, if we focus on Christ and we focus on what God has done and we we let the injustices bring up and realize that our flesh is not good and it's just like the brutish animals that we see that just devour one another. When animals in captivity are just are out in the world, are left to themselves, and if they're, if they're hungry enough, they will just devour. They will kill each other to eat the, that other one or, or to eat something else. If, if, you know, you'll see that even in lions, they'll, they'll kill uh, and bring back, and, and if they, they fight over the carcass till somebody sometimes dies and they devour each other if they're hungry enough. This point, in the second point, is this, is now that it is a way to see the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives when injustice comes our way with others. God is testing the quality of your joy. Are you being led by the Spirit? Just how deep is your joy rooted in the good providence and love of God? Because we'll find out. When injustice comes, when unfairness comes your way, you will find out how deep are you rooted in God. And remember this two sides of the coin, that this is not entirely bad. When God reveals your nature and you realize that your joy is not that deep, don't get filled with guilt and shame. Go to the Lord. Be led by His Spirit. Be filled with his peace in the relationship that you can have with God. Be rooted in his joy. If he reveals that your joy is, so, is shallow, he is giving you the opportunity to deepen it, 
to fill it with great joy. Remember the love in which he loved you, that when you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Don't get stuck on how bad you are, because that's what he's revealing. We are all bad. So be rooted in the love of Christ. Shouldn't we view our antagonists who treat us unjustly as being the very means by which God is revealing to us who we really are, proving us and changing us into his image? Shouldn't we be thankful that Christ uses even our antagonists to provide the very occasion by which we might grow in grace and add our crowns in heaven that we might throw it at his feet someday and worship him? Now that is turning injustice into an occasion to rejoice. That's what he's saying in verse 22. How can we keep that perspective in our life? That's, that's, the tr- that's what we need to do, is fight for that perspective. To turn whatever we deem unfair into an opportunity to rejoice in our Savior. Unless we have this heavenly perspective on injustice, the fruit of the Spirit will not be present and the flesh will overtake us. The idea is He's trying to humble us so that way we can turn back to Him and be led by the Spirit. God reveals the frustrating earthly fate of man is just like that of the human. He's saying, hey, we're all going to die. By the way, if you look at the text in verse 19, did you notice When he talks about what happens to man and what happens to beast, everyone dies. We all have the same breath. God basically gave us life. He gave animals lives. But did you notice what he said? And man has no advantage over the beast. That word is amazing. It says basically, it's a word that they would use in frustration to say there is just no profit. What use is it? Verse 20, this is a theological reality, hits us and it kind of hurts. You see that this is the condition from the Garden of Eden with man and woman, that because of sin, we all deserve to die, right? There is none righteous. We've all sinned. For the wages of sin is death. And it didn't just affect mankind, it affected all the animals. You, we came, right? The old adage, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, we all fall down. (laughs) That's that, by the way, that's a, when I learned what that whole nursery song rhyme thing was about, it's like, that is sad. (laughs) We used to joyfully sing it, and now my brain has a hard time singing it. But the theology of this is that it really hurts to realize that we live in this condition The dust that we were created with and the dust we are going to return to, the flesh will. And apart from the subsequent revelation of the Word of God, as far as the life under the sun is concerned, what happens to you and what happens to the animal is the same. And by the way, it's anybody's guess. Who's experienced life after death? Who knows that? By the way, if you look at verse in our text, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and it says, 
verse 21. Who knows? By the way, who knows is who's, the knowledge there is experiential. It's not just a, a understanding. It's an understanding that comes by experience. And Saul, this is the one thing that Solomon has not experienced. And he's saying, who knows it? But we know that God does. Right? That's number four. And that is the fact that God reveals how few people live according to eternity. People are saying, you know, life is life. I'm going to live life to the fullest and then I'm dying. Isn't that what an animal does? He seeks to shelter himself. He seeks to feed himself. seeks to just exist. And then he dies. And that's the reality. God is helping expand our understanding of our flesh. Solomon certainly does not leave, our, leave us thinking that we are like animals in every respect. He reminds us the fact that it was God's breath. You know, you go to Genesis 2, 7, he says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust, just like all the, the animals he just spoke into existence. But from the ground, and he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God breathed into us. It's different than all creation. That man, he's saying basically a man is not just living in any sense until, until he was animated by the, he's basically saying that we were animated by the, by the immortal spirit which the breath actually flowed from God's eternal, eternality. God gave us the breath of life. In fact, if you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, Solomon knew and understood this about God, and he realized that we are different from animals in the fact that we don't just, our body returns to dust, but our spirit belongs to God. In verse 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And one day we'll have to give an account. We'll stand before God in our spirit. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But nobody's experienced that. And we don't, can't really ask those who have experienced that. But God says this is the way it is. And he reveals how temporal our thinking is when it comes to injustice. We think only about the comfort around us. How can we exist? When he gets to 22, he says, So I saw that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice. By the way, when he says that, he's drawing us back to conclusion and echoing chapter 2, verse 24, and also verse 12 of, of when he says in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And he's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. He's bringing us back to focus that the reality is, is our flesh is responding to injustice just the way our flesh is. It's the proper understanding of the very nature of man. But the reality is, is rejoicing in the Lord and having an eternal perspective is the most important thing. The point inclusion of all of this is this. God allows human injustice to exist in the world in order to clearly reveal to us that we have no advantage on the earth. Just in our flesh. 
Our flesh, the things of the flesh, what we wear, what we eat, what we drink, all the pursuits in life, there is no true advantage. It's frustrating. In other words, we are all going to die. But here's the reality. God is eternal. Our spirit is eternal. We will stand before an eternal, righteous, holy God. So we should find joy in God's eternal work. Are you finding joy in God's eternal work this morning? Are you, are you focusing on the injustice? Why does he bring injustice? It's to reveal who we are so we can see who he is. When we go through life and realize we're just not good, then we can focus and we can find joy in how great God is. We realize who God is, the eternal work. The answer to injustice, dear ones, is, is doing what is good. God's good. Not retaliating, but doing good and rejoicing in God's eternal good. The good the Lord, by His grace, allows you to do. The fruit of God's Spirit of, of loving and, and thankful obedience in His work will be the joy of the Lord and the joy of of your heart that is produced when you are led by the Spirit. And in so doing, you will practice what you are in truth, not animals. But if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Behold, the things of the flesh, all of that is, is gone and the new has come in Christ. But you are the children of the living God, adopted into his family. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in the gospel, the good news of what you have in Christ. Don't focus on the injustices we see. This is a harsh reality, that the, this illustration that Solomon is bringing to us. But it points us right back to the cross. The beauty of the cross, the joy of the cross. There is no joy in this world. It's futile, it's vain. But there is joy in Christ. There is peace in Christ because he stands between the wrath that God will pour out on all of sin. And he stands in between that to provide you peace when you've come to Christ. So that's the reality. Are you focusing on his joy that he produces when he died on the cross from the sin and rose again and conquered death and conquered sin as Satan and at once was a slave to this world to the, and, and was humiliated and humbled on this earth and he took all the shame, all the humility so that way he can provide us with the way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just because maybe you're saved and you know you're saved and you, are, you know what Christ has done for you, but you're not living in the gospel. I challenge you, just go back to the roots of your gospel and find joy in what Christ has done. If, if during this season of time, this last year, it's revealed some things of the flesh in your life. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Because remember, when you patiently seek all of God's goodness, that every gift from God is good, when we seek it and we are patient and we let patience have its perfect work, we will be complete, lacking nothing. Both joy and peace can abound from your heart, your lips, your thinking, and the circumstances of our life are no more. And God is big once again in your life. Are people big in your life? Because if, if people are big, then the cross is small. If God is big, then people and the circumstances of our life become small. And we can love them regardless how sinful they are. Let's thank the Lord. Lord, it's harsh to realize the reality that one day in our flesh, we, the flesh will die, and we experience that. We live, things hurt, our body aches, our emotions rage. Uh, we are filled with misinformation and, and harsh realities. And we lack understanding, but Lord, you tell us that all these things really help us to understand the true and very nature of man, so that way we can realize how good you truly are. And in that goodness, may we find joy in seeking your goodness, not ours, because we realize we are not good. There's none who are good. None of our works are good. We are all tainted, but you provide us your good. You lavish your righteousness, your joy. You produce it in abundance and grace in our life that we might be empowered by the Spirit. May we seek you and find joy. You told us to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, when we're thankful. It says there that promise that you've promised to us that will be revealed to us that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, there is none who understand this, but we can have peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it, not only does it, you provide peace, but it pr protects our heart our very emotions, it, you protect them and you protect our mind through Christ Jesus, the way we think. So we have good thoughts. He said, finally, brothers, think on these things and you give us a brevi and, and just a depth of things to think about that are true and right and they all point to you and you say that if we practice these things, the God of peace will be with us. I pray, Lord, that those truths, those commands that you gave us, that we would be like Solomon and realize just rejoicing in you is where the meaning and understanding can be found in life. So may we rejoice in you instead of worrying about our surroundings. It will help us to understand and to be wise in order to be patient in dealing with 
the unfairness that's around us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't treat us fairly, that instead you sent your son to take our place, to pay for our sins. Pray if someone hasn't submitted their life to you and called upon the name of the Lord and the work of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and has not been saved from their sins, that they have been trying to earn their way to heaven, that they would lay down and submit to you and say, Lord, here am I. I need you. And call upon the name of the Lord and be saved and say, Jesus, I need your work on the cross to save me from my sin. Lord, I pray that someone here, whether listening or here present, if they have not given themselves to you, that they would do that right now. And that based on their heart calling to you for a need to be saved, that Lord, based on their submitting to you and based on your work on the cross, through the power of the Spirit, that you would save them this morning and that they would let us know and we can rejoice with you in heaven. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.